Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, October 30th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that webpage and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, it will show you the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. When you do that, press 1 on the phone. It will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. 
I'll turn on your microphone and announce you by your area code. If you choose to do that, we would appreciate it because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And it's easier to be a service when we know what's working and what's not working. And what you would enjoy or what would benefit you most in terms of either discussing the tools or talking about similar teachings from other other schools of thought. And I should also mention, if you're listening through the archives, if you want to get us a message, a comment, a question, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And if we get a comment or question from you through that email, we will address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows send you a notification about what day and time that was addressed so you can listen back to the archive for the feedback. So, how can we be of service to you today? What is on your mind? I have had a very full weekend. I have had lots of thoughts about What's next for this show? I keep coming back to the idea of reading again through the Way of Mastery. And just to let everybody understand this, the the, the files from the Way of Mastery can be accessed for free from Christmind.info, I-N-F-O. And you can also go to the mindshiftersacademy.org website and find a a page where you can get access to me reading the Way of Mastery lesson by lesson, just the reading, no commentary. And then there's also a page where you can get pretty much our full year of audio files where I just read The Way of Mastery and did commentary as I was reading it. So that's quite a bit more intensive. And that's from last year. Looking forward to this next year, what we're going to be doing for the end of this year and into next year. Um having finished reading the book Choose Again, Six Steps to Freedom, Happiness, Forgiveness. I think it's Six Steps to Freedom is the actual title of the book. And his work is based on his understanding of the Course in Miracles and how at a time in his life where he was actively 
anticipating ending his life because it was so miserable, he decided to take one last look at the way of uh, the Course in Miracles, and in doing so, he found things he hadn't seen before, and he dove into it and transformed his life in such a way that people started asking him, what are you doing, and can you teach me what you're doing? And then instead of ending his life, within a year or two's time, he had a full-time practice as a coach-slash-therapist doing the same work he was doing to change his life for the better from the Course in Miracles. And he's never turned back. He started a, a healing center in Costa Rica, and he has one in uh, British Columbia, and he's written the book, Choose Again, Six Steps to Freedom, and he's got lots of interviews on YouTube, including one he was gracious enough to do uh, with me a few years ago. So, again, as we like to say, that's very similar work, very similar because it's rooted in The Course in Miracles and the same observations about how we are never upset for the reason we think we are and how it is always an inside job whenever we're upset or, for that matter, whenever we're happy. And... We have the ability to choose our interpretation for each and every event of life, of, of interaction with others, even the experience of weather events or what people would call natural disasters. They're just natural events until a human mind labels them a disaster, but The reason we do this Internet show is because Dr. Michael Rice has put together this very specific step-by-step set of tools that we can use to change any negative emotional experience we have into something useful, educational, revelatory about our life experience, about our true nature, about the traumas and false beliefs we might be holding. So, I remember when I started reading The Way of Mastery the first time, I spent a while on the promise that is is written and it ostensibly comes from Yeshua. This is a channeled work. This is the the gentleman, John Mark Hammer, who later changed his name to J.M., just taking the first initial of his first name and the first initial of his middle name. And now he's J.M., and he spells it J-A-Y-E-M.
And there's all kinds of good stuff. If you go to the Christmind.info website, you can access all kinds of writings from J.M. about his early, the awakening process that he went through to realize that he was being tapped on the shoulder, so to speak, that he was being given access to this work, to this consciousness that you might call the one mind, the Christ mind, Yeshua himself. It doesn't really matter what you call it, but it's fairly evident to those of us who have read books like this that this is not just one very intelligent human mind writing this book. This is so much like a fractal, so many internal references without being uh, pedantic and repetitive. Just like The Course in Miracles, 1,300 pages of stuff that came in, uh, you might say, dictation. And... um, to another woman back in the mid 60s. Well, so from 1994 to 97, this book, The Way of Mastery, was channeled from by J.M. from Yeshua, if you would. And in the beginning of the book, after the editor's note, the editor's note just talks about how this stuff was channeled and spoken into a tape recorder in front of witnesses. And then that set of recordings was duplicated and sent out to the mailing list of people who were interested in it. And then eventually they decided to transcribe it into the written word. And so all of the lessons and subheadings were added trying to highlight main topics and they change a few words so it makes more sense in terms of reading a book rather than hearing the spoken word but beyond that it's very very close to what the audio of the actual channeling and they also make that available the audio of the actual channeling is available so you can compare where did they change a word and how much did they change it, etc. So in the beginning of the book, The Way of Mastery, just following the editor's note, there's a, a long paragraph titled, I Promise You This. And the promise is this. If you become wholly, totally committed to awakening from the dream, the dream you have dreamt since the stars first began to appear in the heavens. And if your one desire is to be only what the Creator created, then lay at the altar of your heart with every breath, lay down everything you think you know, everything you think you need, And look lovingly upon every place that fear has made a home in your mind. 
If you do that, correction will come. Regardless of how you experience it, it will come. And the day and the moment will arise and all of your pain and fear and suffering will have vanished like a wind that pushes the foam of the wave away and it will be revealing the clarity of the ocean beneath you. You will literally feel throughout your being that there never was a dream of separation. Now, some memories might remain with you, and you will know that somewhere you must have dreamt a dream or had a thought of wondering what it would be like to be other than the way the Creator created you. But it will be such a faint echo that it will leave no trace upon you. In your heart, you will smile gently regardless of the circumstances in which you find yourself. There will be peace from the crown of the head to the tips of the toes. And that peace will walk before you wherever you go. That peace will enter a room before you enter it with a body. And those who are becoming sensitive will begin to wonder who has come into their space. And some will even say, Behold, I believe Christ has come for dinner. And you will be that one. For that is who you are. Christ eternal. And here they're not talking about a single person. They're talking about this mind, this statue, this office. Michael Rice calls it an office, the anointed one. One who has access to the one mind, the Christ mind. Now, as I read this this time, it just puts me in mind of exactly what Michael Singer is talking about when he says the bliss state. This doesn't call it a bliss state. This says you will literally feel throughout your being that there never was a dream of separation. You might have some memories, but they would be such a faint echo that in your heart you will smile gently regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in. And there will be peace from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes. That peace, to my eye and ear, is exactly what Michael Singer is talking about when he talks about this bliss state, this ability to be completely, totally happy, grounded, rooted in the seat of the of the soul. Of, in, in the observer position allowing life to unfold knowing it does not have any ability to threaten your essence that your essence cannot be threatened nothing about your essence can ever be threatened because you are not the physical body you are not your thoughts about yourself You are not subject to 
damage in any way. I remember that the Course in Miracles begins with a statement that pretty much echoes this same thing. That nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. You know, the idea is that our thoughts about ourselves are not the truth of us. And the world that we see is false perception. And it has not left its source. The only thing that is real was created by the Creator. There is nothing else and everything we think and feel is real in the physical world is nothing but an illusion. So, if you understand the, the, the overlap, the overlay, the similarities, the synchronicity between these two books, The Course in Miracles and The Way of Mastery, then, you know, I, I uh, encourage people to look at The Way of Mastery as a kinder, gentler version of the Course in Miracles. And J.M. has some wonderful writings he's done. They've come in the form of blog uh, posts and answers to people asking questions about comparing the Course in Miracles, the Way of Mastery, and which is the truth, etc. But in the introduction to Course in Miracles, it says, this course can therefore be summed up very simply in this way. Nothing real can be threatened, and nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of the Creator. It also says in that brief introduction, the Course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love because that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. So the truth of your life is that you are the presence of love expressing in form. And you don't need to go search for love. You can't possibly find love by looking outside of yourself because you are it. So if you engage in this, you know, there's a a lesson in the Course in Miracles that says open a curtain in your practicing 
and put away everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space for the Christ mind to come. Well, here is a promise at the beginning of this way of mastery that says, if you become completely, totally committed to awakening from the dream you have dreamt, this is the dream of separation, the dream you've dreamt since the stars first began to appear in the heavens. And if your one desire is to just be and be completely aware of what you are as your creator created you, then the next step is to lay at the altar of your heart with every breath over and over again, lay at the altar of your heart everything you think you know, everything you think you need, and look lovingly upon every place in your mind where fear has made a home. And if you do that, you will allow correction to come. It will come. Regardless of how you experience it, it will come. And the day and the moment will arise and all of your pain and fear and suffering will vanish like a wind that pushes the foam of the wave away and reveals the clarity of the ocean beneath you. You will literally feel throughout your being that there never was a dream. Some faint memories might remain with you and you will know that somewhere you must have dreamt a dream or had a thought of wondering what it would be like to be other than the way the Creator created you. But this will be such a faint echo that it will leave no trace upon you. In your heart, you will smile gently, regardless of the external circumstances in which you find yourself. And there will be peace from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes. And that peace will walk before you everywhere you go. It will enter a room before you enter it with a body. And those who are becoming sensitive will wonder, wow, who's just come into this, into this space? And some will even say, Behold, I believe Christ has come for dinner. And you will be that one, for that is who you are. You are Christ eternal. This is that similarity to what Michael Singer is saying in his talk, which is you just, you want to feel the flow of life. You want to feel the Shakti. You want to have life abundantly flowing through you and have that be the focus of your conscious awareness because that's what leads to what Michael Singer calls the bliss state. Well, here's the invitation right after the editor's note in the way of mastery, a promise from Yeshua. If you do this process of forgiveness that Michael Rice has found in the Course in Miracles and he's found in the Kabur's manuscript, cancel everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space for the Christ mind to come. It will come. You will have a correction in your mind, the mind that has been filled with all kinds of thoughts about judgment and need and labels and 
a need for change. And your experience will change dramatically. So there will be peace from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes. And that peace will radiate out from you since we're living in this energetic universe. And it will bless you and everyone you come into contact with. So I'm hearing, I'm seeing tremendous overlap and similarity from Michael Singer's work to Michael Rice's work to the Kabor's Manuscript, to the Course in Miracles, to the Way of Mastery, to A Course of Love, to the book by Christian Sundberg, A Walk in the Physical, to Diedrich Wolzak's book, Choose Again, Six Steps to Freedom. And if you don't see those similarities, we would love to hear from you. What is it you're seeing? How is it you're experiencing this journey we're on? And by that I mean participation in the support groups and and or participation in this Mind Shifters radio show and or the reading and or studying of Course in Miracles or Way of Mastery. The essence of this is to wake up to your true nature. The essence of this is to cease the looking outside of yourself and turn inside and ask to be shown. Look for that connection to internal guidance and wisdom that's inside you, that is your birthright. And... Work with it. Ask it to show you. Learn to ask to be shown over and over and over again throughout the day. So we begin by being told, here's a promise. If you put away everything you think you know and everything you think you need, And beyond that, look at all the fearful places in your mind and look lovingly on them. So you're not going to beat yourself up for carrying resentment and bitterness and fear or any of what you might call the negative emotions. You're just going to look at them as information, as part of the guidance system. Look lovingly upon every place that fear has made a home in your mind. And when you look lovingly upon it and you ask to be shown, you're inviting healing, you're inviting transformation. And that's essentially what happens every time I pick up a reality management worksheet. 
I map out what my mind has been doing, what it's telling me about how I'm right and the world is wrong and this should never happen and that person shouldn't do this or that and that's what's causing my upset. And then I just cancel it all and ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind's processing that's actually doing the creation. whatever I'm experiencing. Lesson one in the way of mastery is titled, The Way That Calls You Home. And the text reads, Now we begin. I come forth to abide with you where you believe yourself to be. I come not for myself, but for you. I come not to teach you, but to extend love to you until you choose from the depth within your own being to set aside every illusion that you have ever given credence to. And you remember the truth, which alone is true. What is that? You remain as your creator created you to be. You are this energy of love. The text goes on and says, For indeed, in that hour, there is a transcendence of all that knows limitation. There is a transcendence of all that knows coming and going, birth and death. There is but... The mind, capital M, mind, of Christ, capital C, Christ. And that is within each of us as a spark of divine light, as a sunbeam to the sun. And it rests eternally in perfect communion and communication always. The great secret is this, that this is the state of your reality. In each and every moment, you abide in perfect communion with the whole of creation. Since all things that you see are but temporary modifications of the one fundamental energy that I have chosen to call the Christ mind, the offspring of the Father, Beloved friends, I come to where you choose to be. And if you would choose to open that place within your heart and within your mind in which you can communicate with me directly, I will meet you there as well. Now, if you go back and read some of the source material from J.M., he spent quite a bit of time fighting against accepting that he was actually getting input from a mind greater than his own. He spent quite a bit of time resisting the concept that he was being given powerful material and that he had a job to do to help disseminate it. And this teaching says you don't have to let it in that you have a connection 
to a mind that's greater than you, to wisdom deeper than you can imagine. You don't have to go there. You don't have to take the curriculum right now. You can put it off for days, weeks, months, years, decades, or lifetimes. And yet, if you would choose to open that place within your heart and within your mind in which you can communicate directly with a source greater than you, directly with Yeshua, the Christ mind, etc. He says in this opening page of Lesson 1, I will meet you there. And you will have direct communication with me. The text goes on and says, what is important then, by way of beginning, is to consider this simple fact. Your experience is always the effect of where you choose to focus the attention of your consciousness. Your experience is always the effect of where you choose to focus the attention of your consciousness. Your consciousness itself is unlimited forever. Your consciousness itself is embracing all the many dimensions of creation. You abide in that which embraces all things in all ways and at all times. In truth, you do not know separation. You do not know birth, you do not know death, you do not know gain, and you do not know loss in truth. As you focus your attention on hearing these words, recognize how you, as an infinite being, have deliberately chosen to participate in a form of experience. You will hear words that carry certain meanings for each of you. And you each will color that meaning according to the perceptions that you have chosen to place value upon. Does this mean that some are ahead and some are behind? It only seems that way. In reality, each of you is equal. Each of you chooses from your infinite freedom to attract to yourself certain vibrational frequencies, certain forms and qualities of experience. That freedom is what you would abide in always. From before the foundations of this world and long after this world ceases to be. In each and every moment, you cannot be a victim you cannot be a victim of what you see, and nothing is outside of you. What you experience, you have directly and deliberately called to yourself. If you hold the thought, I do not like what I've called to myself, that's perfectly fine. For now you've called to yourself the experience of being in judgment of yourself. Merely look with the wonder of a child and see what it feels like and ask yourself, 
well, is this an energy I wish to continue in, or would I like to choose something else? Ultimately, when all possible choices within the realm of the dream of separation have been made and have been tasted and have been felt and have been known, finally there emerges the still quiet voice of spirit, capital S, spirit, that speaks through the soul, whispering of the one truth, capital T, truth, the one reality, capital R, reality, and the one love, capital L, love. That one, that peace, that one bliss that is continual. Then the soul begins to turn from the things of this created world. It begins to withdraw its attention from its attachments to all of the things it has called to itself. It begins to transcend its sense of identification with the vibrational frequencies that it had only meant to play with. And then it forgot and it started taking them seriously. It is seriousness within the mind that is the creation of ego. And it is great seriousness that holds the vibrations of what you would no longer choose to experience, and yet it holds them within the field of your being and within the field of your soul. As you, as the soul, the individual divine spark, as you begin to choose to withdraw the attention and the value you have placed upon all things, as you learn to simplify the nature of your own consciousness, as you realize that you can surrender into something that seems beyond you and that you can entertain the insane thought of trusting the invisible, then you become more and more to be less and less. And as you become less and less of what you thought you were, conversely, you become more and more of what your creator created you to be. What is that? That is the thought of perfect love in form. That is a channel, a simple vehicle through which the love of spirit can shine forth. Your only task becomes cleaning the windows, polishing your floors, and weeding the garden so that the light, that light, capital L, light, can pour forth unimpeded. No longer will you find need to defend perceptions that you had identified with in error. You will indeed know when you have come to that state of awakening. For you will be able to look upon all created things that you have ever experienced. You'll look upon all reactions you've ever held within the mind. You'll look upon all perceptions, all judgments, all desires that you've ever held for anyone or anything. And as they arise in your mind, they will not disturb your peace. 
you will have that bliss that Michael Singer talks about. You will have that thing that is alluded to in the promise that from this crown of your head to the tips of your toes, there will be a peace that cannot be disrupted and it will go before you as you enter a room. And when that happens, the text goes on and says, when that happens, you will smile. And you will see that within your consciousness have arisen all saintliness and all devilishness. You have been both saint and sinner. And your happiness and your unhappiness have been merely an effect of where you chose to place your attention. Indeed, beloved friends, I come forth to meet you wherever you are because I have chosen to use the infinite power of consciousness that's given to me of the Creator as it is equally given unto you, and I'm choosing to use that infinite power of consciousness to discover how deep delight can be when the mind is focused only on seeing from and seeing only the mind of Christ. I have therefore called to myself all multitude of experiences, even when I walked upon your beloved earth as a man, and I chose these experiences to challenge myself, to test myself, to condition myself to rise above to transcend all possible experiences that could distract me from the remembrance of who I am. Now, to my eye and ear, that's exactly what Christian Sundberg is saying is our purpose for coming into a physical experience when we are existing in the non-physical in a bliss state. Why would you come here? So that I could call to myself all multitude of experiences to challenge and test myself, to condition myself to rise above and to transcend every experience that would distract me from remembering who I am. And Christian Sundberg says that's why we come here. We come here to strengthen our capacity to choose for love, to move towards love and to move away from fear. And the way Christian talks about it is under ever more difficult, limited constraint sets. How can I choose for love when my television is telling me that people are blowing each other up? How can I choose for love when I know that someone that I I care deeply about is watching her mother die today? How can I choose for love when I realize somebody went out with an AK-47 and blasted 18 people to death? How can I choose for love when fill in the blank? Christian Sundberg and the way of mastery 
and Yeshua in the way of mastery are saying the same thing. We're here to challenge ourselves to rise above and transcend all possible experiences that could distract us from remembering who we are, remembering our true nature, keeping our conscious awareness focused on that energy, amplifying it and extending it to each and every person in every situation. The text goes on and says, by the way, this is Yeshua speaking, my crucifixion was simply the climax of my own direct choice to be challenged by the events of space and time so that I could cultivate within myself the ability to see from and to see only the perfect purity of the mind of Christ. The point I'm trying to make with you is that in each and every moment, what you are experiencing in the realm of your emotions and mind and the effects to a lesser degree within the body, these are there because you, from your infinite freedom, have simply selected to experience that and to focus your attention on that so that you can see what the effects are. Again, this is why we do a reality management worksheet. This is why the reality management worksheet can have any impact on us at all. It's all an inside job. That last paragraph, Yeshua says, the point I'm trying to make with you is that in each and every moment, what you are experiencing in the realm of your emotions and your mind, and to a lesser degree, the effects that you have within the body, these are there because you, from your infinite freedom, have simply selected that experience to focus your attention on. Why? Just so you can see what the effects are. This is what they talk about a number of different times in this work. Be here playing in the kingdom. You're just here playing around. Having an, an effect so that you can see if during the middle of experiencing that effect, you can choose for love. And the more you work at that, the better you get at it. The text goes on and says, the insanity does not come from having chosen to see something other than the mind of Christ. The insanity that you experience as your pain, as your suffering, as your seeking and your dramas, this comes only from your mistaken choice to become identified with what arises in the field of your awareness. So it's not insane to play around with these thoughts and images and experiences. It is insane to identify with them, to forget your true nature as love and to lose sight of your innocence. The last line in this paragraph says, for all events are perfectly neutral, and you are free to see them any way you want. When a child is born, he says, and many of you 
who are mothers will know this. When a child is born, you can experience a depth of joy that is unspeakable. Likewise, you can also experience fear and contraction at the thought of having to be responsible for a child. When a loved one dies and you experience grief and suffering, rest assured, it's because you've chosen to contract contract your attention and focus it. And then all you can see is the loss of the animated body, and thereby you convince yourself that you've become separated from that loved one. He goes on and says, I speak from experience telling you that separation is an illusion. When death occurs upon your plane, in that very moment, you still have the power to choose to recognize that something has changed and to shift your attention to a different faculty, a faculty that the body could never possibly contain, one in which you perceive and hear and communicate with that spark of the divine light, the soul, that seems to have given up the idea of trying to keep up a physical form and keep it animated. This is imperative. In fact, it is the very first step of the way of the heart. What is that step? The first step in awakening is to just allow into your mind this first axiom of truth. Just allow this into your mind. Start playing around with this. Start observing this for yourself. Start noticing all of the parts of your mind that want to argue against this. This would be the first step in awakening. Here's the axiom. Quote, nothing that you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. Close quotes. That is going to push people's buttons. That's going to stretch you. And a little bit later on on that same page, it says, please understand, your intellect is going to be screaming at this and talking about how this and that didn't happen. The way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. For indeed, that aspect of your mind, the intellect, it was never designed to be your master. Your intellect was designed to be the humble, and if you will pardon the expression, the very stupid servant of the awakened heart. And by stupid here we mean simply automatic, incapable of learning, incapable, incapable of initiating true choice. It's just a tool, like a hammer or a saw. And it gets trained and conditioned, by the culture and by the language and by the family and by the life experiences. And in that sense, it's just what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind. It's just going to keep churning. It doesn't grow. It doesn't embrace change, knowing that change is growth and growth is life and, and part of your true nature So, that's where we're going to end the reading for today. 
And we'll see. Maybe we'll just march on through the whole book with commentary or maybe we'll get distracted with something else. But we're always looking for practical ways to improve our experience of life. And if you have comments or questions about how reading from the Way of Mastery is going to lead to that, Write them down and bring them back to the show tomorrow. It is five days a week. We'll be here for a couple hours a day, and we welcome those comments and questions and refutations, if you have any. Um, Like I say, every time I come back to this stuff and I see it, with a slightly different filter and I start to see other ways that this work is synchronous with Michael Singer, Course in Miracles, Diedrich Wolzak's work, and as we talked about today, the book by Christian Sundberg, A Walk in the Physical, very, very similar to my eye and ear. And if you share that, great. And if you have a different view, we'd love to have your input. Remember, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. Or you can give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. And that will let us know you want to talk. Thank you all for being here. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. appreciate it. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Monday, October 30th, 2023. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions and have a discussion with you because that makes it your show. And we'll give Michael just a moment to dial in and refresh my screen to get back into the chat room. It's contrary and won't let one of us or two of us in at one time. So I have to refresh after Dr. Tim hangs up to be able to get into the chat room. So we're glad that you're with us. And if you have a question, we want to hear from you. I did a few changes on the website yesterday. Actually, one of them is that Michael and I had some pictures made at Walmart the other day, and they came back very well. And so uh, I changed our pictures on our website so that they're more current. And we don't have the little one today, so hold Aria in the space. She's Her mom had to go pick her up from school. She's not feeling very well today so we were supposed to get her this afternoon and we're not 
uh, we just send love in her direction. And Michael and I had a beautiful weekend. Uh, Saturday we went, there's a place called Crabtree Falls. And it's the highest waterfall east of the Mississippi River. It's higher than Niagara. Now it's not, but a little bit wide, you know, and Niagara's humongous wide. But uh, anyway, we hiked uh, two miles up, two miles back down. It took us about three hours, I think, to uh, do the whole thing. So we got our exercise in, and uh, yesterday found out that we had a few more muscles, so we kind of just took the day relaxing. We've been out this morning getting things prepped. Old weather is coming our way. Those of you who are up north have probably already gotten it, but uh, we've had some beautiful weather. Actually, Saturday when we went walking or hiking, it was up in the 70s and humid. And uh, But starting tomorrow, we're going to start dropping. The evenings are down in the low 20s. So we went out and we started preparing our gardens for the winter. And... Uh, so it's another phase. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Yeah, it's been a fast season. I think about when we opened the garden up back last, what, what did that been April, and uh, how quickly that's gone by. Pretty amazing. In any event, delighted everybody's here to continue this conversation, to expand this conversation you know, in the in the Aramaic language. The word. Heaven, when you talk about the kingdom of heaven is within, the word that's translated there as heaven can actually be also translated as the kingdom of expansion. You know, they talk about exploring outer space and, you know, this expanding universe. Maybe we're designed to expand into the truth of who we are fully rather than get stunted and locked into the past. You might remember there's a, a chapter in my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, called The Has-Been. And that the mind tends to, well, the only thing it can do is serve up what's in it. And if it serves up something painful, of course, it's easy to bypass the fact that it's the mind that's serving up what's painful and pretend that it's what somebody else does that's causing the pain. And what we're looking to do here is to understand that if the mind is serving up something painful, it's because there's pain inside. Ta-da! How shocking. I mean, short of a, a punch in the nose, cancel the thought. Nobody can cause you pain. And yet people do all kinds of things, and it's so, the denial is so built into our language. Oh, yeah, when that happened, that made me so mad. You know, she said that, and that just enraged me. Well, he just wouldn't quit it, and that just, oh, man, frustrated me to no end. Oh, every time I think about the world situation, it just pains me so deeply. I mean, look at the kind of ideas that are built into our culture. Now, you go back to this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, and he says the power of life and death is in our words. Words represent frequencies. Frequencies represent energetic patterns that we're putting into our structure with our words and our thoughts. And if this body-mind unit is serving up something based in pain, 
Unfortunately, in the culture, and it's, it's a, I think in part it's because of the commercial culture that's ready to sell us addictive substances, substances that tend to go hand in hand with addiction. Now, of course, anything can be used as an addiction. Our, our definition of this work, in this work of addiction is the compulsive use of any person, place, circumstance, substance, or activity to keep from hearing and following our highest guidance, being in touch with who we really are, and or to anesthetize against pain. And so any, anything can be an addiction. And, of course, if we add person messages on top of an addiction, oh, I have an addiction to alcohol, I am a terrible person. Well, you know, probably the terrible person thing came before the addiction. Probably a power person message has said you're a terrible person. That may have been actively, there are two types of power person messages that we get into. One is active, you know, the power person actually says the words and we buy it. The other is passive. The power person does the behavior, and what that behavior resonates in us, we make the assumption, we take a message away from it. And it really doesn't matter which way we acquired it. If we begin to remove the power person messages, the tendency will be for the addiction to disappear. Now, the addiction itself was a way of adapting and surviving. Now, unfortunately, in the long term, most addictions don't support surviving. Initially, they were things that allowed us to at least cope. Now, at what cost, of course, is a big question. But when we start to dismantle the messages you know, for the person who's in an active addiction. Over the years, I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of people who came into this work doing addictive substances and or engaging in addictive emotions. And what I observed was people didn't really even have to put an effort into getting rid of their addiction. If they put the effort into forgiving the trauma-based mind energy that they held in their structures, removing it from their structures, if they faced, allowed their pain to surface directly and used the tools with which to dissolve the energetic patterns behind the pain, the addiction just naturally dropped away. I remember one very dramatic example was a woman I worked with in South Florida. Her husband was Joe Businessman, and she lived in her fancy house and had her two kids. And every night, about 9 o'clock at night, her husband would come home from his addictive job, and they'd have two or three drinks before dinner. They'd have a bottle of wine with dinner, and they'd have two or three drinks after dinner. No, she was an alcoholic. She was very clear. No, I'm not an alcoholic. But this was a seven-day-a-week routine. She started to do this work and decided she was going to stop drinking. And actually, she was, you know, she did that fairly well. So it perhaps was not really an addiction. It was just a habit. 
But after a period, I remember she came into a session. It was maybe five years after she'd quit drinking. Like she hadn't touched alcohol in about five years. She'd been divorced and, and hadn't touched alcohol and was really tapping in and doing this work. And she came into a session and shared with me that she'd been at a party the weekend before and someone offered her a drink. And she accepted it, some kind of hard liquor, whatever it was. And what she said was, I no more than got that liquid on the tip of my tongue and in my mouth, and it felt like razor blades in my kidneys. She could feel the impact of the alcohol in her kidneys before she even swallowed it. Now, when there's a load of pain that's being anesthetized, then the addictive substance or behavior is experienced as something positive. Oh, this alleviates my pain. But when you take away the pain, then the deleterious effect of the substance becomes very clear when it's no longer serving the purpose of alleviating pain because you've dealt with the pain, then it's experienced as the toxic substance that it is, and it just it just naturally drops away. People are just like, you know, there's no attraction to it anymore. So the the tool for handling pain, of course, is the tool of forgiveness. And we'll say it again and again and again and again, never, ever forgive anybody for anything and never forgive the person that you look at in the mirror for anything. However, if you're going to heal, you must forgive continuously. How many people hear that as, well, that's a conflict, Michael. Michael, you're telling me not to forgive myself for anybody else, but you're telling me to forgive continuously. Like, well, what goes? What gives? We've been tricked. We've been conned in this culture. If the man Yeshua who brought the forgiveness work to earth that we're doing, that we're working with today, that we're reviving in the earth, if we went back to that culture, what we would hear is this man Yeshua saying, you have pain in you, you need to go inside yourself and remove your pain. You need to be responsible for your pain. And you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. Now, let's translate that. There are two words missing in that statement about forgiving from your heart. And there's a mistranslation of the word heart because he wasn't talking about that organ and he wasn't talking about uh, uh, some kind of a wishy-washy, you know, forgive from your heart type of thing. That word heart in our modern updated language would be the unconscious. So what he was saying is you must remove from your unconscious that which your brother just brought up in you and you put into your brain's image of him. That's where your pain resides. Your brother didn't cause your pain. There's no need to forgive him ever. But you forgive as to what he brought up in you. And when you're free of your pain, then you'll no longer be blaming your brother for your pain and you'll be free of your addiction because you won't be driven by unconscious pain and the need to relieve it. So there's a positive aspect to addiction that it, in the short term is a mechanism for adapting and surviving. 
But with an addiction, there's never thriving, and the long-term consequences are pretty deleterious. So instead of letting anybody else off the hook, you know, if Yeshua sat in most of the Western world today where they're talking about you've got to forgive everybody, whether it's psychologists or churches or what have you, he'd say, that's all Greek to me. He never, ever told anybody to forgive another person. But he understood if you're in pain, it's because there's an energy in you that's causing your pain. And if you're in denial, i.e., you think or speak as though something outside of you is the cause of what's moving inside of you, then you've dissociated from the content of your own mind. And that dissociated painful content has to be addressed and removed from your unconscious or your heart. And a dissociated piece of content, by definition, is unconscious content. You must forgive from your heart, from your unconscious, that which you put into your brain's image of another. So you remove it from your, your own structure, and you're freed of the burden of that. Nothing whatsoever to do with letting anybody else off the hook. So, so never let anybody off the hook, but forgive continuously. Every time you come across something that's painful or something that's on the, on the spectrum of negative, hostility or fear-based thinking, if you want to youth, if you want to heal, if you want to change the becoming of your physiology, you're constantly in a state of becoming. If you never learn to forgive the content of your physiology, then you'll be going by the past. You'll be becoming out of your past dynamics. If you understand that and you learn to remove those dynamics from your structure, then you get to purposely, consciously engage in the energy of becoming what is really possible for you as a human being. And when we arrive in our lives as the active presence of love, especially in the, in the presence of the person who knows exactly how to give you the look, when we arrive, the simple presence of our true human lives, which is love, means that whatever that brother or sister has resonated in you that's painful, frustrating, traumatic, traumatic, whatever it is, if you arrive when that's moving and you're facing it directly, it dissolves. It is the universal solvent. The active presence of a human life in a human mind and body means that anything of a diseased nature in that human form that surfaces, comes out of hiding or becomes active, dissolves. And life, abhorring death, has a purpose. And its purpose is to kick you right square in the limitation, to show you exactly what you're holding on to that never belonged within your structure. So when you realize that life operates by the law of resonance, energy exchange, then by holding a particular energetic pattern within you, anyone in the neighborhood that has a similar energetic pattern is going to perk your ears up and turn toward you. You are going to start to move, march toward them, and they are going to start to move or march toward you. You will find each other. 
So this law of resonance says if there's a disease in the system of any person, whoever has the matching bag of garbage that can resonate that disease energy is going to show up and do the behavior that will resonate. And when they resonate that unconscious trauma and pain, that which you hold in your heart, if instead of projecting it and putting it into your brain subject of your brother, instead of walking away talking about them, if you stop and go, oh, I have pain here. Oh, I notice I've got some negative thinking going on. Oh, my brother, it justifies my negative thinking what he does. Well, wait a minute. Your physiology is being impacted by your thinking. Now, maybe he deserves something. That's, that's a debatable point, but maybe he does. In fact, I might even say, gee, I watched the terrible behavior he did, and I agree, he deserves it. Maybe he deserves it in spades. But the real question is, do you deserve it? Because on an energetic level, what you originate, you store in your physiology. And it takes time if you've been storing, and, and if generationally, hostility and fear has been being stored within your structure, it takes time to dissolve. It takes dedication. In order to change the underlying energy out of which the mind functions, takes dedication and work. Many people start to grasp what the forgiveness process is and what this work is about, and they're so excited. And then they come up with something like, well, now... I got it. That's awesome. I've got five bucks in five minutes. Tell me everything you know. Well, no. We've got a 12-year conversation going on here, five days a week, an hour to two hours a day. Listen to it all. Listen to every word, and you'll be well on the road to starting the next level of your work. Now, that can be disheartening to some. You mean, you mean I'm not going to be finished in five years? No, you're not going to be finished in five years. Well, how about 10? No. 20? No. But each step that you take when you realize that what you're living on top of and what most people are living out of is a multi-generational database with, I mean, uncountable numbers of ancestral of unresolved ancestral dynamics, countless. You know, the scriptures talk about going back four generations for those energetic patterns. But when you think about it, the fourth generation back got their patterns from who? The previous four generations, who got them from? The previous four, who got them from? Who got them from? And if you go back 30, just 30 generations, you have within your genetic structure, within your multi-generational database, the unresolved and the resolved dynamics of 1.6 billion people. 1.6 billion. And these generational patterns, because they've been in development and resonating, actively influencing people's lives, for hundreds and hundreds of years in each of our bloodlines, the patterns don't die easily. You know, I look at the 50-plus years that I've been developing this work, and I recognize very clearly for me that 
the deepest, most important aspects of my own personal inner work have happened in the last two to three years. So it's a process, a lifetime process that you enter into, and that is taking on the generational patterns, at least spending some of your time focused on, instead of the outer world, focused on the inner. Now, it can be a, a big challenge to, to shift that. You know, we came into the world, and virtually everybody told us about how we had to focus out there. Oh, look at this shiny trinket. Oh, look at the tree. Look at the flower. Look at the food. Look at this. Oh, look, we have a new toy for you. Look, 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 look. And the senses, the habitual um, dynamic of most of the culture is keep looking out here at something. And if nobody ever taught you to look within. I mean, at this point with Arya, who's now five, when we say it's a meditation time, Arya will say, I'll eat it. And she'll sit us down and she'll put us in a posture and she'll start a guided meditation. She knows how to look within. How different would each of our lives been if when we were two, three, and four, somebody, instead of focusing our minds outside, 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 supported us, in fact, instructed us and assisted us to stop, slow down the mind, slow down the body, and just look inside become aware of the source of the realities that your mind is basing its perception on. And then to have the skills of knowing how, if you encounter aberrant content in your mind, and aberrant content I would offer would be anything based in hostility or fear, that you learn to remove that content and recognize that that's forgiveness. Pardoning, yep, somebody out there does something, pardon them if you will. But the forgiveness work is about undoing and removing the unconscious dynamics in your own mind. So that's what we're here to support. That's what we're here to understand and to enhance our understanding and our work of doing that. And in so doing, support you in the process. Most people aren't going to spend 50 years. And over the 50 years, probably the majority of the time was, mm, they they were 12, 14 16-hour days, especially when we're on the road or at Harlan when workshops were going on. Not many people are going to take 50 years full-time looking into and understanding what's going on with the mind. And I personally feel so totally and completely abundantly blessed by the fact that I... 40, I don't know, 43, 44 years ago, had the great fortune of being introduced to the first century Aramaic language and the real and original work of Yeshua. You know, we watch a lot of videos and, you know, or touch with what's going on in different fields. And 
so often I'll hear somebody who's out there. I was actually listening to a, a uh, an interview with a psychiatrist yesterday, very well-known, world-renowned, and he's talking about, you know, healing the mind. And, you know, he's he's very well-respected and... You know, the way he's doing is touching a lot of people. But unfortunately, he doesn't have the foundation of this man, Yeshua, who had a depth of understanding that you... I mean, I have not seen it anywhere else in the world. If you can't go back to the Aramaic and get the the foundation of how the mind works, how the filters work in the mind, how the breath works, if, if you don't have that foundation... People build all sorts of things based on perception. But when you realize that perception, the world you think you see out there, is nothing but a product of something moving inside of you, if you're working within the framework of perception, you're working within, well, if if we were to you know, bring some numbers together, the world of perception just as a, a metaphor, not trying to make any literal or accurate numbers out of it, but if we're working in the world of perception, if our conversation is about dealing with what's going on within the perceptual mind of human beings, we're working within maybe 20% of the actuality. And by definition, if you're working within a system where the assumptions from within the system are considered accurate, then whatever's not accurate about it is invisible. And so whatever the world comes up with, working out of 20% of the actuality, 80% is missing. When you bring Yeshua into it and you understand, you know, I mean, just understanding the healing power bringing of understanding who you are, of developing relationship with who you are as a human being, not who I am, not who somebody else is, but who you are, you know, you go back to that, the ancient teachings, is that, you know, it was the mind of Christ in you. Now, that mind was not the mind of the man Yeshua. That was the mind of love in you, that when you build a relationship with that mind in you, your life heals. Without that mind active in you, it's like, well, uh, David Bohm said it very well. He said, most people, when they think, are doing nothing, think in the word quotes, or pardon me, in quotes, they're simply rearranging their prejudices. Because when you're working with a limited part of the puzzle, you know, if you've, if you've made up a story, if, we're, if, if you imagine that life is a billion-piece jigsaw puzzle, all of humanity down through the ages I'm talking about all of the cultural events, all of the things that humans have done in recorded history and where we've arrived at today. We've maybe got 100,000 pieces of the puzzle. Now imagine there's a billion-piece puzzle, and you've got 100,000 pieces, and you assemble them in a way that you were able to tell a story about it. And then you get locked into that story. You know, there's a cute song by the fellow who was the music director at Heartland, Joel Goldstein, back 40 years ago. And Joel wrote a song. 
check it out on YouTube. You can do a search for Stuck in My Story by Joel Goldstein. And the basic um, melody line of it is Stuck in My Story, My Pain and My Glory. If you're working within the perceptual framework, you're stuck in your story. And if you can get the truth of who you are as a human being to visit that framework, then that framework starts to collapse and healing occurs because the active presence of life is now injected into that perceptual world. And it changes. It changes so dramatically until you've eradicated, literally eradicated, the very possibility of that system, even generating any form of hostility or fear. Now, not proclaiming I've achieved that, because I haven't. Be the first one to acknowledge and admit that. But to recognize that anything based in hostility or fear that shows up in your mind is based in corrupt data and is lying to you about who you are, about how your life works, and about the people around you, and about the world. And the major skill to be achieved in being able to free yourself from that is being able to collapse the story, being able to collapse the picture you made up of the 100,000-piece jigsaw puzzle that fills your mind, fills your eyes, fills your your, uh, field of view. And then you realize, oh, my God, there's a billion-piece jigsaw puzzle out there. You know, I'm climbing a mountain. And it's a long, hard slug, and I get to the top, and I'm 20 feet from the top, and I'm so joyful because now I've reached the top of the world. I go that extra 20 feet, and all of a sudden, there's a whole mountain range in front of me. From where I sat, I was reaching the top of the world. But the truth was, I'd hardly started the journey. So we're here to be a companion on that journey, to be... um, co-directors of the journey with you, that your questions guide and direct a lot of where this uh, radio show goes, and uh, to recognize that we're in this together is, to me, a really important part of the process and the community that's developed around this work the global community. Jeannie shipped the book out yesterday to someone in Poland. It's like things just move and move and move around the globe in all kinds of directions that we don't even know how it happens. But in any event, we're delighted that your companions on this journey, that you interject your questions, that you put a hand up and give us your thoughts that allow us to be led in a different direction perhaps and that we never thought of. And that opens another piece of, oh, there's a corner over there with another hundred piece, thousand pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. Oh, there's another one over there. There's another. And before you know it, we're starting to approach at least getting a skeleton view of that billion piece puzzle and what it means. And you can bet that the hundred thousand piece story means absolutely nothing compared to the one that's behind and superior to it. So behind and superior to everything that you experience. There's a state of being the active presence of love. 
if you've been tricked into a false identity. You know, he listened to Yeshua and he says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. He's saying that in your body-mind unit, in your perceptual system, you have built a self based on power-person dynamics, based on generational patterns, and based upon cultural patterns. And that is nothing compared to who you are. So that self has to die, and the dying of that self expands the truth or the awareness of who we are. You hear people talking, you hear in the ancient scripture, I die daily. What are they talking about? The false self. Oh, I just discovered another aspect of myself or what I thought was myself that isn't really. And so I'm willing and able to confront whatever is false in me and dissolve it. And much as it may be quite painful to lose that self because there were hopes and dreams for that self, it's being replaced by something just a trillion times larger and a trillion times more meaningful. So putting one foot in front of the other and dissolving the self that isn't. And we have two hands up. Well, let's say hello to somebody who's got a hand up. Awesome. The first one is Miss Susan, area code 610, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Welcome, young lady. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Good talk and so much on point of what I wanted to tell you or ask. I am on the vestry... I'm on the vestry of my church, and one thing they do at the beginning of each meeting is have one of us lead a devotion. And I've been thinking about how the fact of our misunderstanding of the word forgiveness has allowed us to stay in a warring state with others. Yep, yep. And so I wanted to talk about the Aramaic forgiveness without wigging anybody out. You know, okay. so I went online to see if there was any Christian writer who had done research on the Aramaic word for forgiveness, and I found a, a sermon written by Reverend Lisa Smith Fry back in 2017, and she explained how the meaning of a word in Aramaic can be pushed this way or that, or stretched this way or that, and that has led to not trusting interpretations of the word or not using whatever we might think is true. And anyway, so much of what's been written in scriptures has been translated into Greek, and the Greeks loved to make black and white distinctions instead of Aramaic being more fluid and inclusive. She ended up with uh, with a few sentences that I thought gave, approached the same meanings that you've been giving. So for the line, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, could be heard as lighten our load of secret debts as we relieve others of their need to pay, or loose the cords of mistakes which bind us, bind us as we right on the strand as we release the strands 
we hold of others' guilt or another one untangle the knots within us so that we can mend our hearts' ties to others. The word for, she says the word forgive in Aramaic reaffirms that our original state is clear and unburdened and that our slender ties to God and each other are based on our ability to mutually release the cords of mistakes and failures that can bind us to each other, hurting both of us. So I thought I would, and she goes on. Wow. I just, isn't that cool? Um, that's profound. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm just so downloading a PDF of her speech. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, I am. Very interesting. Of that sermon. Good. Yeah. She says that Greek, as opposed to Aramaic, builds on, I'm quoting now, an unnatural division between God, nature, and humanity that is absent in Aramaic. It also is perfection-oriented. Greeks strive not for goodness, but for perfection. Another one is inner self and outer self are disjointed. Mind, body, and spirit are seen as separate things away at, always at war. And Paul, we've just been studying Romans in our Bible study class, Paul was very influenced by the Greek society that he lived in. Anyway, you'll, I won't read all of that, but this is giving me a... I don't need the legitimacy for myself, but if I, if I tell him that I have this teacher I've had for eight years or whatever it's been, um, who isn't within the strictest, and this is a very liberal parish, mind you, but it's just going to make right. it easier for me if I say, well, here's a sermon from Reverend so-and-so, and then I get to introduce the work, and I want to just keep sort of injecting it wherever possible um, and get, get going on this. And eventually, I hope we'll all use your book. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm the resistance, you know, the resistance of people to really looking within and dealing with yeah. what's there is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm thinking right now what, what you've triggered. Now, the person who originally introduced me to the Aramaic language is a gentleman named Rocco Erico. You might look at some of his uh, stuff. Yeah. And right. Rocco and I connected 40, you know, 45, 46, I'm not even sure exactly how many years ago. And we became friends. He used to come to Atlanta and speak at a center there that I went to. And over time, mm-hmm. we became friends. And, and the Aramaic became my focal point. And then yeah. I was doing workshops in Fort Lauderdale, and there was a, a gentleman from Albany, Georgia, who owned the Caboris Manuscript. And he was in mm. Fort Lauderdale, and we happened to connect and, you know, sat and talked, and I started to work with him. And so the Aramaic became just my focal point. And Rocco had a center out west, and I had a center in South Florida, and I would bring him in to speak at my center, and he would bring me in to speak at his center. And I remember one year we were doing a conference together, and we each spoke a couple of times at this conference. And, you know, my focal point was forgiveness. And he, it turned out when I spoke, I just happened to be on the roster ahead of him, and he was right behind me. And mm-hmm. my whole conversation was about forgiveness. 
and about when he when he finished his presentation after he's like, geez, Michael, you know that forgiveness stuff is yours. That's not mine. But but most of his conversation just followed along the lines of forgiveness, and when he saw himself being kind of stepping into that, it was like no no no. And Rocco's very intellectual and very uh, my my take would be emotionally sensitive, and it touched places in him that he didn't want to go. So he was like, you know, I'm not talking about that forgiveness stuff anymore, Michael. So oh, unfortunately, wow. and and I don't know. If uh, I haven't really looked for any of Rocco's writings on forgiveness, maybe, maybe you've inspired me to do that, to just see where he's gone with it. Because he was a yeah. protege of George Lamsa, who who yeah. wrote the uh, the Lamsa translation, or did the Lamsa translation from the Aramaic into English. Right. So, interesting. Oh, boy. Well, I think it's the answer. Absolute answer to everything, of course. I'm <laughs> just... I mean, the only reason yeah, in the world there are people in the world who are starving, there are people in the world who don't have water, there are people in the world who don't have homes, the, the only reason there are divorces, the only reason there are wars is a lack of the understanding of forgiveness. If the world had an mm-hmm. understanding of forgiveness, everything has led to every form of non-human, and when I say non-human, I mean those without love, aberration Every form of it would just mm-hmm. disappear, and and yeah. everything. I mean, literally everything would be handled uh, without it. Right. And, and the, so that kind of uh, speaks to why it hasn't become popular, <laughs> because the generational impact of trauma and pain that has to be faced is monumental and. Who wants to go there, number one? And number two, who's got the brain cells to go there? Yeah. So, mm. cool. I'll look forward to uh, to reading this uh, sermon of uh, Lisa's and uh, maybe yeah. communicate with her. Great. She is findable yes. on the Internet. She's a rector of nice. Paris up in New England somewhere. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that's that's it. <laughs> All right, young lady. Well, thank you for that input and any discoveries that you make. In that regard, I would be honored to uh, to be privy to them. Great. Okay. All right. Appreciate you. Thanks. Okay. Miss Jeannie, you've got somebody else with a hand up, I think. I do, and it's area code 619. I believe it's Peter. Good morning. Welcome, uh, young man. Yes, I've been thinking. Um, I kind of started working on what I thought was the major issue, and I remember back to Marianne Williamson when I discovered The Course in Miracles and did that. Right. She had a sentence. She said, as soon as you clear out your first big issue, everything else is going to come rushing in. So that what I experienced this weekend, I was working on what I considered the big issue. And now right. I feel like I'm being flooded with multiple issues because I guess I couldn't see them before. So your thoughts? Yeah, well, the uh, this is another piece that comes out of the Aramaic when I was speaking about those 
you know, there are lots of really fine psychiatrists and psychologists and theologians or ministers who are doing some great work, but they're working with the, within the framework of perception rather than actuality. When you go back to Yeshua, you, you come to understand that there's this, this place where people substitute lies for truth. And we tie that piece of information into some research that was done at uh, Harvard University back in the 50s where they discovered that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. So we have, metaphorically at least, not necessarily absolutely literally, but a nine-bit mind. So 10,000 units of information are firing, and we get to see the end result of nine of those units of information, and that's what floods our conscious awareness. Well, what happens is most people live in blockage of truth. That's why one of the key phrases is that we need to honor truth, that that needs to be right up on top of the, the puzzle, a la Yeshua from the first century. Because if we don't honor truth, then what happens is our mind produces a lie the lie, based in hostility or fear, fills the nine-bit space. There's no room for anything, awareness of anything else, and we call our lie the truth. Once we call our lie the truth, there's no room for truth to enter. We're now living in blockage of truth. That's the condition of the human mind. And what Yeshua gives what this work is based on is how do you bring correction? What are the principles by which you bring the, the mind back into alignment with truth and make the space? And I don't know if what you did was a worksheet this weekend or what, but when, especially when you collapse perception, when you, you utilize the forgiveness process and perception collapses, basically what you're doing is cleaning out the nine-bit mind and making space for something else to show up. When you add that into, okay, so I'm willing to honor truth, then you open the floodgates and things start to move. Also, if you do things that vitalize you physiologically, and I know you just started this weekend with, with your new Avicen, when you do things that vitalize you physiologically, then a new level of vitality creates a flood and a flow of information of what has previously been blocked and couldn't get past the, the threshold of awareness. So that would be my take, that you've, uh, you're stepping into a higher level of vitality. And yeah, expect all kinds of issues that have gone on, perhaps from any time in your life, to start to surface physiologically, mentally, emotionally. You know, when we talk about the step on the worksheet that says, I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. What does that look like on a physical level? looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, it looks like any kind of negative thought you've ever had and confusion. On an emotional level, it looks like any kind of negative feeling you've ever had and depression. That's what healing looks like. It, it's not Dr. Feelgood, and yeah, there's going to be, and I think that may be metaphorically the story about the flood, is that when we start to open the veil of the temple, you know, when they said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain, they were talking about a purple curtain in a church. They were talking about the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious mind, an unnatural barrier. When you start to open that barrier, then all kinds of things start to show up 
that have previously been hidden away in the associated mind. So physiological vitality, emotional, mental willingness, and choice, beginning to do your work, opens the floodgates. That would be how I would uh, explain what it is you're talking about. Does that fit for you? Does that touch into the area that you're questioning? Yeah, it, I believe it 100%. I just didn't fully understand it because I forgot when we did this 35 years ago. <laughs> Uh, right, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Well, and but, you know, yeah, when you had texted me make... and you said that you were seeing your uh, your diabetic neuropathy start to disappear from your feet, you know, and then you'd gone into this funk, this healing crisis, my take, as I texted back to you, is that whatever the toxic energies were that were stored in your circulatory system that were creating this state of neuropathy and diabetes, as you start to process it out, it's going to be in your face. It's it's not necessarily going to be Dr. Feelgood, and that's where, you know, where what most people do when that kind of energy starts to move is they stop whatever it is that's vitalizing them, and they go to their addictions and their ways of not feeling and not dealing. What we suggest is, you know, instead of, you know, let, let me go out and get myself a, a pint of ice cream when the stuff starts to move. No, it's let me go and make myself a sprout salad, <laughs> vitalize and do the next layer of this. But that's not the natural inclination of the person who's functioning out of the unconscious dynamics of the mind. Mm-hmm. But it all makes sense. So thank you for reminding me. Sweet. Awesome. Stepping into willingness with you and, you know, to recognize, you know, there are four questions you ask yourself when you become symptomatic to tell whether you're in a disease process or a healing process. So if you find yourself becoming symptomatic and, you know, and this is for me part of what I developed to understand it because I was raised in a world where I was taught that pills were the solution to everything. I mean, I lived on an inhalator and drugs and, you know, until I discovered naturopathic medicine, I thought that had something to do with healing. I now realize it had nothing to do with healing. It has to do with treatment, which isn't a bad thing, but treatment isn't healing. They're two different things. And so when we step into that space of willingness and the symptoms start to flow, I ask myself the question, one, have I been doing more and more of the right things? Check mark. If that's a yes, then doing more and more of the right things, I'm building vitality. Question two, just before these symptoms struck, had I hit a new level of vitality? Yes, I went to bed last night. I was high as a kite. Man, I've discovered the truth. I'm rocking. This is awesome. And then the next morning, <clears throat> get up and you get, the, you know, wonder if anybody got the number of the Mack truck that went through your room during the night. It's like, what happened? I'm I was so high last night, I've lowered the snake's belly. Well, that's one of the things. You hit a new level of vitality, and now your structure says, oh, so now some of this old stuff I've been hiding for myself, I can start to clean out. You start to move out the garbage. And so instead of running away from what vitalizes, you move toward what vitalizes. That's exactly what happened. Go ahead. No, it's exactly what happened. I went out. I hadn't ridden bikes, uh, my bicycle. I used to be an avid bicycler. Anyway, I went out last Thursday, and I started that process, and I started doing the processing in the Avicen, and I noticed my relationship with my wife got better. I don't know why or how, 
But anyway, we had the best time. But then all these other issues pop up. Like, so I, okay. so anyway, your description is very accurate for my life anyway. Thanks. New level of vitality. That's, and, and you can expect over literally over a period of years as you continue to do your work rather than, you know, this work is never done. You started 35 years ago and, gee, you know, forces operate that bring you back. My, my suggestion here is that you make sure that you put in your plan that you're going to do your inner work for the rest of your life because when you realize that what we're facing are these generational patterns and dynamics from literally unresolved dynamics from the, the closest generations, the last two, three, four generations, is, is enough to handle, but then you realize that ultimately you're dealing with stuff that went back to 10, 50, 100 generations. Those energetic patterns that have never been you know, handled, there's some research being done, at, well, actually in several different circles where they're showing, for instance, one of them that I was, I'd just come across recently was a, uh, a researcher at I forget what university, but one of the big universities, and they were showing that uh, people who, children of people who were in the Holocaust had literally, their physiology was altered. The profiles of certain chemicals in their bloodstream were different from their peers whose parents had not been in the Holocaust. So those physiological changes take place generation after generation after generation after generation. And at some point, you've got to uh, work through and come out the other side of all of that. And it's it's a process. Okay. Well, thank you. Honored and delighted, sir. Any other thoughts for you? Anything else we can do to support you? No, I'm good. Uh, I'll be in contact. Okay. Have you downloaded the app yet? I got the app, but I didn't start the worksheets. Um, but I'll probably start them today. I remember doing them. Well, the the app, there are two different versions right there. You can just jump on it and boom, 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 and you can save them as a PDF on your phone. So yeah. go for it, sir. Yes, sir. All Thank right. You, Last one. All right, take care. Bye-bye. It's Michael, by the way. <laughs> we have another hand up, and I believe it is. Oh, great. Is Let's go for it. Mr. Terry, 336, you're on the air. Hey, Michael and Jeannie. Hey, young man. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I, I got a little funny, okay? I think it's funny anyway. My funny's not always funny to everyone else, but another bullet point. Um, I want to add to when I know I'm in the, uh, uh, headed in the right direction as far as, you know, the vitality and all, okay? Right. Uh, am I triggered by anything Michael says? Terry, <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, Terry, I've like, never triggered you, anything you, for you, have I? <laughs> have I given yeah, you opportunities to learn forgiveness? Time. No. <laughs> Exactly. It's like, am I confused by what Michael just said? <laughs> like, because I'm getting ready to learn something, okay? <laughs> yeah. oh, that's awesome. This little, yeah, this little personal sidebar. Jeannie, you may have a little experience with that. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> no, I've never played with any team for Genie. That's that's never happened. No, I can imagine. Oh my God, yeah. what a woman she is! She just deserves some kind of medal or something. <laughs> Hanging with you this long. Fun, uh, but yeah, when that guy was talking, you're going over that list. I was like, oh yeah, I've got a real strong indicator for me. <laughs> And uh, uh, I appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Well, I I, I assure you and guarantee you that, that 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 Jeannie has never given me any opportunity to learn forgiveness, and I know that I've never given her any opportunity to learn forgiveness either. Yeah, <laughs> liar, liar, That's pants right. on fire, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's beautiful, and. Uh, I, I'm working on my mind shifter. Thank you very much for that mind shifter yesterday. Ah, yeah, there we go. There's another breath on that one. And, uh, Good one, uh, yeah. Continuing to move forward. Yeah. Thanks for the radio show. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for holding a space in a continuous stream of, what, hundreds and hundreds of hours. So thank you, guys. That's all I got. And and what and what Terry uh, have I triggered for you recently? Uh, well, I had it all figured out with that little insight on the story from the guys yesterday. You know the the thing on YouTube. Was that the day before? It's like yeah, oh yeah. It's like oh, I right. saw this, and then and then, and then it's like, what's the first thing you say to me? Did I break your bubble and burst your bubble? Yeah. What was the first thing you said? Do you remember? Uh, no, I don't. It's recall. all fine and good. It, it's, it's all fine and good if you want to live in the one world blame universe or something like that. <laughs> 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 one piece, one piece missing. We're they have shifted to you know the whole blame game just so subtly. It was like the old fish hook in the mouth. It's like, oh yeah, all right. And so uh, I went for it, and then. Uh, Oh, well, I'm I'm Thank you. just Thank delighted you. to be yeah. so truly helpful. <laughs> yeah, it is truly helpful, and and it's like that's what we need. It's like you have to trust someone to tell you the truth and be willing to stand in it when the truth is presented and it conflicts with your belief system. That's what the box on that worksheet is so important. I can't check that. Well, and and most of humanity today, yeah. yeah, most of humanity today is living in blockage of truth. That's the condition of most human minds. That's like the major disorder of the planet. It's ingrained, so it's, and, it's, and it's, uh, yeah, it's tough to break through. You got to really be committed to hanging in there and and, and going through it. You know. Well, and you'll notice on the worksheet there are two places where you commit yourself to truth. It's that important. It's the only idea that's there twice. <clears throat> Honoring truth. All right. And, you know, over the years, if we look at the personal code evaluation, the number one issue in, I, I don't know, I've, I've never sat down and broken them down, but I would say the number one issue in 80% of people's personal code evaluation is blockage of truth. It's the inability to mm. honor truth. 
I want my story. <laughs> you know, I like this story better than having to be responsible to face what's going on inside of me. I love to have the ability to blame somebody else. Oh, the one world religion of blame that started in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Been going on for a long time. And we, we hear people in the the Christian community, oh, they're concerned about this one world religion that's coming. No, no. It's been here since the garden. <laughs> and, you know, if you think yeah. somebody else is the problem in your life, then, you know, you're you're a card-carrying member, and that's something the world trains us into. So joining you in honoring truth, my friend. Thank you. All right. Well, the... Uh, the show's actually we're a few seconds over. I'm surprised it hasn't cut us off yet, but uh, thanks for your calling in, and then and let's have a conversation tomorrow. And everybody, have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.